Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Hail Yes, a Detroit Free Press podcast about University of Michigan athletics. I'm Tony Garcia, Michigan beat writer for The Freak, joined by our Big Ten insider, Reiner Sabin. And we are coming to you uh, in the Sheraton Grand in downtown Los Angeles. You can see the uh, the blue sunny sky sort of behind me. Depends how I move my head. There it is. Uh, and uh, not that we've gotten to, to spend a ton of time out there. Uh, it's 11 a.m. local and we've uh, been meeting with coaches and players from both teams all morning because uh, we're here for the Rose Bowl. And uh, and it's it's just about that time. The full day one uh, is today. The introductions were yesterday. Reiner, uh, are you feeling uh, introduced and acclimated uh, to Los Angeles? Yeah, I had, a, I had a great meal in Koreatown last night. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, also got to enjoy the uh, full LAX experience with the uh, Uber shuttle to a vast parking lot where uh, I picked up the Uber. It was a, it was a reminder that uh, LAX is a, is a beast not to be messed with. Yes, I, I thought I was clever uh, in avoiding that. Uh, flew into Orange County because it was closer to Disney where our uh, arrival event was. And so I thought I was being uh, quite cheeky. Uh, just going to grab a rental car, head on over there. Uh, and we did. We made it all the way to the parking lot. And then um, the kind Disney attendant uh, directed me to go in to the exit, uh, mm-hmm. pulled my uh, my rental car over the, the, the spikes and blew all my my tires so really that was my work to la yeah you didn't you didn't know this yet yeah a reporter who did that and told me about that and he, he told me the story about the the attendant was like no 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 it was like one of those like you know no you know slow things i wish and like, i wish it happened I wish to him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i, that's, I was i was improperly directed and uh and let me tell you um I was not very wow. professional afterward. I, I I I dialed it down, um, and we and we got it we got it together. But it, it was such a brutal way to start the trip. But okay, did that was get, that was a, a couple more. Did you get the, and you got the car replaced? I guess yeah. it's it's just uh, it's just been towed. Uh, it has okay. been towed away. I'm uh, and uh, it's it's a problem for future Tony. Uh, so okay. now everybody okay. gets to laugh at my expense in the same way my my family and friends uh, often do. Um, but other than that. It's been a great time, and uh, and we're just and and it's all it's all uphill from there, uh, and so today is not about my car troubles actually, uh, as much as it may seem like it. It is about sort of day one storylines that that we are seeing and feeling around uh, both Michigan number one, Michigan number four, Alabama as they prepare for the Rose Bowl on January one, and Reiner. For me, uh, the storyline that caught my eye, uh, I would say, is 
uh, is about sign stealing. Again, uh, I thought that we had reached a point where it was tabled, not yet resolved, of course, because the NCAA has not has not weighed in. But it seemed as if in this season uh, we had sort of water had found its level and we were going to get through uh, to the offseason and, and then see what happened. Uh, not so much. Uh, wide receiver, Alabama wide receiver Isaiah Bond told me, let slip, uh, certainly, uh, that Alabama has not been watching film on individual iPads. They have only been watching as a team at the facility. Uh, and that's a notable development. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, it adds another layer to this, I guess, scandal that's been tabled, so to speak. I mean, that uh, Alabama is taking these level, this level of precaution as it relates to Michigan and maybe their fears, whether they're justified or not to do so. But it seems like, again, Nick Saban is one of those people that having covered him, uh, he'll, he'll account for every possibility or, or, or situation that he feels may affect his team. And so he's concerned about, you know, football espionage carrying over into this, uh, way of, uh, of breaking into their, their signals or their, uh, uh, their playbook or getting their kind of uh, beat on what they're trying to do. And so I think it's uh, it's an interesting uh, layer added to this whole whole situation in this game itself. Yeah, so talk to wide receiver Isaiah Bond, running back Jason McClellan, uh, quarterback Jalen Milrow, and offensive coordinator Tommy Reese just to try to get a sense of, of this, right? Because one guy's saying something, you need to, I mean, ask other people their effect and th- their understanding of it. And it, it seems to me that it's more, it's, as, as you said, it's more, it's, it's sort of better be safe than sorry, right? Uh, what, what Isaiah Bond said is that they have a, a system called catapult. Uh, and he said, allegedly, uh, Michigan coaches or Michigan staffers, someone within Michigan's realm had gotten access to, to that, which contains uh, information to about Alabama's practices and films. And that's where you could really see, I mean, tweaks or different, changes and things that, that, that are happening. And, and also it has, I mean, just distance, power, metrics, right? Like all the, all the size and strength. Yeah, I, wrote, I, actually wrote a, I wrote it when I was covering Alabama, I wrote a whole story about how they use the catapult system. Uh, yep. I, I wrote a really long story about that. Uh, they actually use it for injury recovery purposes uh, to get guys back quicker than you would expect. They use baselines to try to get these guys, uh, uh, to to judge how far they've advanced in their recovery and rehabilitation, uh, very interesting usage of the system. They've you know I, they clocked you know Kenyon Drake back in the day running like twenty two and a half miles per hour um, on that system. Like when he returned the kickoff against Clemson in the twenty fifteen uh, championship game, uh, and so they've used this system for a while. It's interesting that they're a little bit concerned about the security of it um, and that some other program could possibly hack it's into now, it's it. Now it's now been pretty adopted. Yeah. What? Yeah. Right. No, no. I mean, yeah, no, most, but yeah, but at the time, I think Jimbo Fisher and I remember writing that Florida state was really the first college program to use it. Obviously Jimbo was the uh, work for Nick Saban. And so that's probably how he got a beat on it. And then he, he started to use it and then they, they took it a step further again, using their, uh, training and medical staff to be able to use it to get guys back quicker than possible. Like they would be able to assess how explosive they were, whether they they could cut at the same force level 
as they were before like an ankle injury. So they, they were able to expedite rehabilitation and recovery at the time, which I thought was really interesting. It made for an interesting story, but it's just weird that now it's come back up all these years later with this whole Michigan situation. In, in this way, right? <laughs> like, yes, not, like right. not Yeah, for, yeah for, absolutely. For <laughs> yeah, it's, no, it is, and, and it's, it's, fu- it's, I don't know, funny is the right word, but it's, it's just amazing how quickly things move, right? How state of the art and cutting edge that was eight years ago. And now everybody has it. And to the point where a team is concerned that an outside program can just easily hack into it or how, how, however they, they may, may uh, determine that. And so I think Reiner, is this, um, so I'm, I guess my question is, is this something or nothing? Because for me, it is something, uh, just in the fact that, I mean, you and I have talked about it on this podcast and and and, uh, and in print. Nick Saban, uh, six and one in, in college football playoff semifinals, six straight wins. And part of that is knowing how to handle this off time, right? I mean, Jim Harbaugh has been adjusting how Michigan has been spending these past few weeks, right? Less physical, more rent, more mental. They've been talking about the mental days, the, the added film time, the... The, like when you're going full speed, when you're doing walkthroughs and and all those things. If I mean Alabama players for the last few weeks have only been allowed to watch film at, at the facility. That just I mean that limits what you do. Like I, I mean we've been asking, I've been asking other players like Blake Warmer or whatever, like, hey, like, how do you how do you rest in your downtime? Like when you're at home or whatever. A lot of them say, even when they're watching the NFL or or gaming with their buddies or whatever, they will still have their iPad and have their film next to them. That's I'm I'm pretty floored that Alabama is is not doing that. Well, but I mean they they also I mean you log more hours uh, probably at the facility because you don't have school during that period of time anyway. So you're you're probably going to stay there. So they don't have those commitments on the academic side. And then secondly, there's actually possibly a residual benefit of doing that because you're probably watching your film with your position coach. And uh, and actually, I mean you know as Nick Saban tends to do. Yeah, Nick Saban tends to do. I mean, just again, you know, from my experience covering him, he sometimes takes a disadvantage and turns it into an advantage. And so maybe that's where they're trying to get the advantage. It's like, hey, we've got all these guys in the facility. There's buy-in. There's no distractions, and you're watching it with the expert. You know, your position coach. You know, the coordinator. You know, Nick Saban in general. I mean, if they're having team wide. Film sessions. They so, are yeah, having team They're not yeah. doing. They're not just doing, like running backs are not just watching running back film, and wide receivers are not watching wide receiver film. Is what is what uh, McClellan said. Yeah, well, I mean, in that case, I mean, I think it's uh, you know potentially beneficial where you're getting one voice and people saying like this is what you need to watch for instead of people drawing their own conclusions off the film. And so uh, I think, in you know, as far as Saban goes, again, he usually can find some way to turn something that may be a negative into a positive. And so I think didn't, in this case, didn't we hear another coach saying that line earlier this year, something about yeah, negatives yeah. and positives. Yeah. Yeah. Jim, yeah, Jim, yeah. Jim Hart. Yeah. I mean, those are the, that's what the best coaches do. I mean, they, they do that. I mean, again, Saban's really mastered this period of time. Uh, I mean, going back to the loss in 2014 to Ohio state, I mean, he didn't feel like the team was prepared in the right frame of mind. They were focused on, possibly go into the NFL and early entrance. Uh, and so he's, he's kind of locked down that aspect of it since then, that first loss in 2014 uh, in the semifinal kind of uh, recalibrated 
what Alabama likes to do during this period. And, you know, henceforth, they've been pretty successful, six and one, uh, six straight wins in the, in the semifinals and uh, since, that, since that loss. And so I think, um, you know, again, I don't know if this is really going to make much of a difference as far as uh, their prepar- preparation level. I, I just, you know, feel like, you know, Saban's got a beat on this situation and really more of the emphasis is on whether Harbaugh can actually, you know, overcome his, you know, one in six bowl record. And again, this period of time, whether he, he found the right balance between too much, you know, uh, work before or not enough and trying to find that uh, ramp up to the, to the game itself. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good, seamless transition into what I would identify as sort of the other main storyline of day one or sort of how it felt to me today. Um, which maybe is probably no surprise. Uh, Big Ten versus SEC. Uh, there was a lot of talk uh, about that about that today as well. And like you say, like Saban has a beat on this, right? It's up to Harbaugh to prove it. I mean, Harbaugh is Michigan. Saban is Bama. They both represent their programs, right? And uh, and uh, you you got Michael Barrett uh, saying. I mean, he's now played in three of these. He's a six year guy. Um, I mean, he saw he saw that that uh, tied team in nineteen. I mean. You can see, like when you ask him about it, you can still see that he's seeing ghosts. I, I mean, with <laughs> with just all, all the speed and talent with Waddle and uh, different playmaking, Devontae Smith, the playmakers they had on the outside. Um, but now it's about: is this just going to be another year of luck? The SEC is the SEC, and the Big Ten can't can't hang. Or is this the year that Michigan can flip the script? Like take Rod Moore for example, right? Uh, we asked him about about that, and he said. I mean, he said, I don't, he said, I don't think SEC speed is even a thing. He's like, everyone, like everyone's got speed. Um, fortunately for him, he's fast. So he can't say that, but, uh, SEC speed, SEC speed, SEC speed is a thing. Yes. Absolutely. It is. I mean, I, you know, again, <laughs> saw it, you know, first thing. No, I mean, it is, I mean, you know, you got guys that run in the, especially on the edges that are running four or five closing speed, you know, there is a lot of that. And, the, you know, like every team has a couple of those guys. And the, the, there is, I mean, it's, that's really revealed up front is where you see that, and especially on the edges, the outside linebackers, uh, the inside linebackers too, being able to track the speed. And Reuben Foster, when I at, at Alabama was, was I mean, it, 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 he was a dynamo. I mean, it was boom. I mean, he, he's – He's closing in on you quickly. I mean, Tim Williams was like that off the edge for them. Uh, yeah, I and mean, again, they the SEC speed thing is a real thing. I mean, uh, again, you know, there's a couple teams in the Big Ten that you know has similar traits. I guess you know Ohio State uh, for sure. Uh, I mean, Michigan up until recently didn't have that kind of speed. I think they've done a great job of improving that. Again, it goes back to the fact that they recognized that Michigan's defense was not equipped to play these bigger teams uh, and bigger, faster teams. And that's part of what inspired the defensive scheme switch 
you know, which, you know, again, is something I, you know, probably you'll see in the paper about just about their, their move towards this defense uh, and a bigger front. I mean, again, the last time they played, you know, Mich- uh, last time Michigan played Alabama in the Citrus Bowl in 2019, I mean, Carlo Kemp was the defensive tackle. He was a 280-pound guy <laughs> in the middle. And now, you know, in the NFL, he translated to an outside linebacker position. I mean, this is not – this is now you've got Kenneth Grant, 339 pounds, who can move quickly. you got Mason Graham, quick twitch guy, big guy, you know, fire a plug in the middle. I mean, they've, they've, yeah, they've got players that look like they played in the SEC. I asked Tommy Reese about that. And he said, yeah, it looks comparable to what you see in the SEC. And they had to get to that level. And part of it is because Mike McDonald and Jesse Minter have seen what it looks like in the NFL. And who's who was the general manager for the Baltimore Ravens? It was Ozzie Newsom. Ozzie Newsom's an Alabama guy. He also was at the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland Browns had Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. And it all goes Bill back Parcells. to that. And Bill Parcells is, you know, Bill Parcells is always bigger, it's better. You know, we're going to have a 3-4 line. You know, you have to, you're going to have to have stout D, D ends and a big monster in the middle at the nose tackle. And you have big linebackers, you know, big heavy inside linebackers. And so that's that's the model. And Michigan started. It's building from the inside. It's building from the inside out, which is what Michigan, which is Michigan has followed where they have not. It seemingly is that is that speed on the outside. Right. Like they have like tight ends. Sure. Running backs. Sure. Linemen. Absolutely. Maybe and maybe on on the defensive side of the ball, they are getting that level of talent um, uh, with Will Johnson. Right. Uh, and 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 those sorts of things. But it's it's the wide receiver speed on the outside. It's the Roman Wills. I mean, obviously, he's very quick. And Ronnie Bell's a, a really good player who developed very well. Not, nice piece. Right. These aren't game change. These are not game wreckers, game changers. That's what we talk about with SEC speed. Right. People at every position, bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, and, yeah. and you're right. And Michigan, Michigan has built it up from from the middle going out. And I I, I think I, they match up. They match up damn well, right? With Alabama ac- across the board. Defensively, I think they do. I think defensively, as you, yeah. start, as you start expanding and getting out, the far the farther away from the middle of the field you go, I the the, the more question marks there almost are. Yeah, I think defensively they match up well. Offensively, I think less so. I mean, you know, I think that that's where, I mean, the question is whether they're, again, outside skill position players for Michigan can go up against those uh, DBs and create separation and do that. Uh, and whether the linebackers, I mean, excuse me, the tight ends can can get out uh, and whether Mich- Michigan's going to be conflicted. Well, we'll probably get to this in a future podcast, but Again, whether they're going to have to max protect and ward off the Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell on the edges, or do they send those tight ends out in space? Where because they're going to have to probably create some things in the in the passing game with the tight ends, given the potential problems they may face on the outside with the with the two, the two corners with Alabama. So it's a, it's a it's a dilemma in some ways for Michigan to, that they're going to have to resolve before this game about how they want to use the tight ends. You're right. We're we're gonna get to the offense when, when yeah. we talk to, to to Michigan's offense more because, but there is no team in America that is gonna line up against Alabama and be like, oh, we feel great, right? I mean, Georgia doesn't. They just lost, uh, and if Georgia doesn't, then no one will. But there are, but it's not it's not 2019. It's not where it looks it's like junior varsity. 
Yeah, and it's not 2016 Alabama where they had 11 guys drafted off the defense and they all looked incredible and they had, you know, 10 defensive scores. <laughs> I mean, where they're they're just picking off a pass or recovering a fumble, a sack fumble and going to the end zone. And it was, I mean, it was just like a party in the end zone every week for Alabama's defense back then. And, you know, again, Part of that is because Kirby's built up the program in the SEC to siphon off some of that talent. I mean, the depth isn't quite as strong as what it used to be at Alabama. And so, I mean, there's a little bit more of a competitive balance between an Alabama program and a Michigan program now. Michigan's gotten better and Alabama's maybe a little bit slightly down across the board from a talent perspective. And so now the matchup looks a lot more even than it did, you know, five years ago. Yeah. And then another thing I thought was interesting and a, a very good point was Jesse Minter comparing slowing Jalen Milrow to Lamar Jackson. Right. I mean, I think, and, uh, and just that just, I mean, he, he know, I mean, I think he would know how to stop that type of quarterback. Like when he's seen it uh, against practice uh, all, for, for all those years. And it's just, that is going to be like, when, when you look at this game and, and this defense, for, for Michigan, we, we talk about Milrow and Bond and and McClellan, and there are so many pieces uh, to that you have to stop. But Minter said that this defense is designed to do that, right? Like like they they know that they're going to have to play eleven on eleven when you have a running quarterback. He said uh, you love playing a non-running quarterback, right? Because once they're under the gun and they hand it off, they're essentially playing with ten offensive players against your eleven, but lining up against Milrow it is 11 versus 11 he can do both things and uh and and he said that Michigan has worked all year and since last year's TCU for that exact to to, to prepare for someone like that yeah I think I also think you're I mean exactly Tony but I also think that uh Michigan's defense is structured because they play zone defense it's beneficial in this situation they'll have their eyes on on uh, Jalen Milrow for uh, the entire game, pretty much. I mean, that's they do play some man, of course, but the predominantly zone, and I think that's that's helpful. Again, you know, as as it relates to uh, containing Milro, especially you know, just just being able to have uh, a beat on where he's going and uh, and keeping your eyes peeled instead of chasing receivers with your back turned and allowing those huge running lanes to develop. And so, uh, in some ways. Whether they anticipated facing a running quarterback in the playoff or not, the benef- the benefit of playing zone defense predominantly should should come for come to the fore in this game you know, against Alabama just because of the type of player that uh, and the versatility that uh, Milrow presents. Minter called him uh, like a a running back or a linebacker once he, once he does take off, just running with the ball. Um, He's, uh, and I was I was also very impressed. Just side note, with that was the first. Obviously, we get to cover JJ and all these guys uh, in, in Ann Arbor. Uh, and I've heard Jalen speak like post game, but I was, he was very poised, uh, very polite, very well thought out. Uh, I mean, not that I didn't think he would be, but it's it's just always fun and interesting to see another quarterback, right? Another leader, how they are perceived, the way they carry themselves. And I was impressed, like impressed with Max Duggan in the sa- in the same way last year, right? But that's not. I think that's not surprising. The, the, the teams are, are here for a reason. Um, I guess I'll just ask you quickly, what are, and before we get to some of our favorite moments thus far and wrap this up, you are very plugged in with Alabama. Uh, is, is 
that sentiment around Jalen Milrow, sort of how, how it holds in, in Tuscaloosa? What What is the feeling? Yeah, I mean, I think in general that, uh, you know, they've been, you know, encouraged by Milrow's development over the course of this year. I also think from my understanding that, again, they had to, I mean, Nick Saban kind of wanted Jalen Milrow to be the quarterback, and Tommy Reese had to figure it out with him. And I think they had to work it th- work through some issues to be able to find uh, a reasonable compromise and and uh, find the right fit for him and adjust the offense accordingly. And I think it's worked out really well. Um, you know, I, I do think going back to kind of what you know you said about Minter kind of preparing the defense, I think it is interesting that. You know, again, before the season, we talked about at the Big Ten media days, you know, how, again, Michigan brought up this beat Georgia drill. And the fact is, is that a lot of the things that carried over probably from that drill, I mean, carry over to Alabama. I mean, Alabama is the inspiration for Georgia. But it's just interesting that the Georgia um, was was a team that they kind of focused on because, again, they had won the two national championships. But, again, I asked, you know, Milrow about that and what he thought. He's like, well, Alabama's still the standard of college football. And really it's kind of inarguable in some ways because even whatever you want to say about Georgia, but they really are kind of a a facsimile of Alabama in a lot of ways. I mean, Kirby Smart uh, took all of his cues from Nick Saban and everything else. So I think, again, whether Michigan really, you know, should have called it the beat SEC drill. But I mean, I think, again, going back to your argument about it, Big Ten versus the SEC, uh, you know, Michigan knew that they're probably going to have to go through the SEC to win a national championship. So everything they've kind of geared towards, you know, the last three years, you know, whether it's built restructuring the defense and instituting this drill, this beat Georgia drill was to get get to a point where they can go toe-to-toe with the SEC. And we'll finally get to see if they're really – I mean, this team, this team that everybody has kind of focused in on is like, you know, the the best shot to win a national championship for Michigan can really actually finish the job and and get it done and compete at the line of scrimmage with a a program like Alabama. I mean, it's been dang near a year that that people have been saying that this is this yeah. is the team, right? Uh, after that loss to TCU, once Blake Corm decided to come back, and Keegan and Zinter, of course, he's hurt, yeah. and Jenkins and Sane were still, and then you added Josh Wallace, and then all, all the transfers who come in played key, big key roles: Barner, Nugent, Henderson, right, and one by one, uh, Josiah Stewart, Wallace, Houseman, uh, James Turner. Uh, I mean, it, it was all. For this, it was all directly for this, and uh, and, and here they are. So, uh, and later today, uh, we'll have some some video up on on various uh, free platforms. It's the Lowry's Beef Bowl. Uh, there's going to be a lot of big men eating a lot of food, mm-hmm. and uh, and so we'll, we'll we'll have that too. And the reason I bring that up is because Reiner, I want to just end this with uh, maybe anything. This is a little more that we like. It's a different. It's a completely different setting than we normally get to be around the team in, right? Like, yes, they are very focused, but there are times where you can get them a little more smiley. I think I saw Jim Harbaugh smile like six times yesterday. Hadn't seen that all year. Um, so, I mean, he was at Disneyland with his family, so it's a happy time. What are have you had a, a, a couple moments uh, that have stood out? A couple behind the scenes uh, thoughts or anything just to to let the people know what what you are looking at and walking around right now. No, just, uh, you know, again, I really 
from a media perspective, it's interesting to see, uh, you know, the national media kind of come in and, and, you know, they, they have a different perspective than say the local guys and see what questions they're asking and such. And so from that perspective has been interesting from my standpoint, uh, you know, obviously I wasn't out there at, at Disneyland with you. So I think you probably have the best color and you saw the most interesting things from, you know, maybe a more lifestyle or just normal, uh, human being standpoint from a player than that we typically see at the facility uh, when we interviewed them at Schembechler Hall. So, uh, I mean, I, you know, I'd be curious to see what you, what your takeaways were and what, what really stood out to you. Yeah. I put it on my Twitter, Nick Saban getting a horse drawn carriage ride down Disneyland completed my 2023 bingo card. That was my final square that was missing. So that was incredible. Uh, and then, but just after we're leaving and we're being escorted out and, uh, Quarterbacks coach Kirk Campbell, uh, I believe he was with his wife and his kids. Um, he just looked like the most miserable. I mean, I mean, like just like a Disneyland father who was dealing with like like there was something going on. He was probably fifty feet away, but you, he's like looking stressed. He's got the stroller. He's making sure like the bags are together, mm-hmm. and it's like just to see someone who's like the guy who has is helping JJ McCarthy like maybe become a top ten pick, right? Someone who's really uh, very integral in. A, a key focal point of, of this team, just in, in, in that complete outside element that they all like to talk about and just being dad walking around Disneyland. Uh, and then Michael Barrett walking around with a Borg. It's what the new young Gen Z hip kids do these days when they drink uh, alcohol. Generally, uh, they will then flay it's a, but they'll put some alcohol in a big like gallon of water. Uh, yeah, I'm like, aware flavoring. Of yeah. yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everybody I'm, might not. Yeah, I'm impressed. I'm actually very impressed. You know what a board is. Uh, and, and so they do it so you can drink, but you also stay hydrated, right? Well, yeah. Michael Barrett has eliminated the alcohol part of that uh, and just has a big jug uh, with electrolytes uh, that um, uh, the, 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 the training staff has sort of been helping uh, him do. And he says uh, he gets in trouble when he. Do you have a board, Tony? Do you have a Borg? I've never Borged. I'm too old. Around, I'm are you walking around the media room with a Borg? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my uh, I got you're your sorrows my, away. <laughs> my little barista cup. Yeah. Um, yeah. I could. Yeah. I should. We should yeah. get more water because we yeah. we these days are long. It's a lot of it's a lot of go go go. But yeah. nobody cares about that. Um, it, it's these are the, these are the fun days that are long. Um, where else would you uh, would you rather be uh, in this in this job? So. Um, great job, Reiner. Uh, I know you have more to write, as do I, and uh, I'll see you downstairs in a little bit. Uh, so thanks as well to Andrew Burkle, our, uh, our sports editor and producer, for uh, jumping on and, and helping us navigate this ship. He is flying out here tomorrow. will join us in, in Pasadena. Very ex- excited about that as well. And then uh, thanks to uh, everybody else who helps uh, make these shows possible. That is uh, Editor-in-Chief Nicole Avery Nichols, Executive Editor Anjanette Delgado, uh, Sports Editor Kirkland Crawford, and Audio Engineer Robin Chan. Uh, so for Reiner, for Andrew, I'm Tony. This is Hail Yes. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. 
From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.